What do you think your longest goal is? How long do you think you can keep that up for? Maybe we should do that next time. Yeah, I, I reckon you'd win. You're taller than me. You have a lung capacity <laughs> and you row, so you'd win that hands down. But then again, I do... <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> this is good radio this this is great radio <laughs> i don't have that you have a really nice let me, i i can't do it goal I don't know. <laughs> well i think we've had and welcome the now ladies and gentlemen to the bonus episode <laughs> we've definitely found something like the start i think <laughs> Welcome to the Gaps in Knowledge podcast. I'm Will. I'm a history teacher who knows nothing about geography. And I'm Reese, and I'm a geography teacher that knows nothing about history. And this week it's Goal! <laughs> a World Cup special where <laughs> I'm going to convince Reese not to watch the World Cup with the help of my good friend, Mr. Andy Eagleson. Yeah, that's me not watching the World Cup then, but I'm going to miss those Mexican goals there. Goal! <laughs> you can fade this bit into the music. Goal! <laughs> <laughs> yep, did it. There you go. There you go. <laughs> cool. Ready um, to go. Okay, and one of you do a nice clap. Wow. There we go. <laughs> just, okay. That's the start, is it? Official. Well, that, it's, just so can, it's just so I can match up the audio really easy no later. <laughs> oh, dear. Okay. Um, so, uh, Will, how do we start this episode? We normally started by saying something stupid. So, let's not make this any different. I love using Nepalese workers to build stadiums in the desert, and I think the Guitar World Cup's a good thing. Welcome to the episode. Let's go. <laughs> this is where we're at. Okay. Excellent. So uh, just to put it into context, uh, this episode, we're looking at um, the Qatar World Cup because as of now, it starts to, tomorrow, actually. Uh, and um, we will basically, the idea is Will was going to try and convince me not to watch the World Cup. Um, mm-hmm. And then uh, we were in a, a staff briefing on Friday and suddenly someone came over to me <laughs> and just started uh, being very assertive about his opinions on the Qatar World Cup. So I'd like to welcome our guest, Mr. Andy Eagleson, to our podcast. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Nice um, to be here. Yes, I was. Uh, I just kind of came over to you and asked your opinion on it. And um, you said you were a bit passive in the whole thing. Mm. And I was a little bit surprised and um, I wanted to know why you were passive. And I kind of, I used to live in Qatar. This is why I'm here today talking to you too. And I have my own personal experiences and I want to kind of share those with you um, today. I think I, I'm trying to wrap my head around how this conversation went exactly. Cause I'm imagining <laughs> Reese sat down and said, you're Andy, how you doing? <laughs> Qatari World Cup. <laughs> That's how I'm doing. <laughs> Yeah. I, I, right. I don't even think I said hi. I think you just started talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> Which is fine, because that's how you start a conversation, I think, isn't it? <laughs> Sometimes. Yeah. But uh, but um, I just, what I want to do, because obviously the conversation was it was just before like a very important briefing, in inverted commas. Um, but yeah, it was... Um, 
Yeah, and yeah, Andy said to me, uh, um, "You watched the World Cup," and, and this is probably the reaction because I said, "I'm kind of going to watch it passively. Mm. I'm aware of this. I, th- I think I'm aware of the situation around it, but I want to discuss it more." But then, mm. um, Andy, I mean, because you're, uh, you can probably explain a bit because you're a huge football fan, aren't you? Yeah, and for me, not watching this World Cup is going to be quite hard. Um, you know, I, I watch, I watch the Premier League every weekend sort of two maybe even three matches depending on how many i can get away with um <laughs> sometimes the wife wants to go out and can only watch one or two so that would be a lesser weekend um but this weekend obviously the world cup starting um tomorrow mm-hmm. and um i'm gonna find it really hard as i say to not watch it um i have my podcasts um, those podcasts from the Premier League coverage that turned into World Cup coverage. Mm-hmm. I was thinking whether to unsubscribe to those podcasts and then resubscribe after the World Cup. It's going to be very strange having them talk about it and not having watched the games myself. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be really hard. And this, I think, recording this is kind of making my decision final, uh, not watching it. Um I wonder how much of an impact myself not watching the World Cup one person is going to have. Um, but hopefully I can get the message out today and mm. maybe convince some other um, people that it's, um, it's, it's not worth watching and we really shouldn't be buying into this World Cup. It's, it's, well, that's that's good to know that you watch a huge amount of football each weekend yeah. because I, I don't. I watch... Reese watches kind of stupid amounts of football. It's a big part of his life. But for me, I watch the occasional match every now and then, maybe the FA Cup final, maybe the Champions League later stages mm-hmm. uh, and the odd kind of tournament. So for me, it wasn't a big deal. Mm. Like, I'm not going to watch. I think it's gross. doesn't really matter. I've got other things to do. But I wasn't mm. aware that you watched that much. So, okay, that's good. Because the, the idea is to convince Reese. <laughs> don't watch it. We don't need to watch it. Well, this, There's other things going on. Well, that's the thing. I, w- I would like to offer Andy a bit of advice in that, because uh, there is the still lower leagues uh, happening around. So they're still playing. Ah. <laughs> <If> <laughs> of you course. And, uh, but I wouldn't recommend taking the team I support because... <laughs> Gillingham are doing pretty poorly at the moment. So, but no, okay. but, but actually, it'd be, I would like to talk about the disruption to the football leagues globally as well. But before we kind of begin all that, I mm. I would like to sort of go right from the start and ask sort of Andy. So, what is your what's your link to Qatar in in that sense? So, uh, take us right from the start. And it, so, where is your link uh, to Qatar? Yeah, yeah, I can do that. No problem. So, um, I'm a international art teacher. Um, I work, we work in the same school um, in Germany currently. And I started off 12 years ago. And I was there in Qatar when they were awarded the World Cup. I was in a bar in Qatar, having a drink in my hands, and was in shock when they were awarded it. And you got the live footage from the fans outside in the roads in their four by fours weave and their Qatari flags looking delighted that they'd won this. And I just turned to my friends and said, that's that's crime. That's unbelievable. They've bought this. This is all bribes. Uh, at the moment, that that was speculation. And it's proved to be that many of the people involved in the um, awarding the World Cup were corrupt. And I think 10 of them have been brought up on charges um, consequently. Um, so basically, I was there in a Qatari school for two years. That was my first teaching job. And it was wow. promised to me that 
Um, it was going to be really good money and it was going to be at a top international school out in Qatar. And there were 44 teachers that went over that year, recruited from, from Belfast, from Edinburgh, from Cardiff and from London, maybe even Manchester too. So this was the whole idea. This one school went out to these hotels in the UK and I answered a, a job advert. Um, a very small advert in the Sunday. The Sunday Life is the Sunday newspaper um, back home in North Ireland. So it was a tiny advert. And I thought, wow, OK, just turn up and uh, went there the next day. Got the train to Belfast, 30, 40 minutes or so. And um, yeah, I was there in the hotel and I had an interview almost straight away. And they sold it to me as this amazing place. I'd never even heard of Qatar in my life. And before I knew it, I'd been offered a job like only, you know, one hour later. And I was told accommodation would be to look, uh, looked after. And, you know, it was a, a fantastic country, a fantastic school, great opportunity. And I just thought, okay, I had actually been working as a teaching assistant for two days a week. This was after qualifying, um, living with my parents. And remember, my mom was always talking to me about, you know, when are you going to get a job? How many jobs have you applied for today? And so on. I was just desperate to kind of get out of the house, you know, being away from home and then coming back home and living with the parents again. So this was an opportunity to to get that job. And I never really considered teaching internationally. Um, but this was the first step. And ever since then, I've been an international teacher and never considered going back to, you, to the UK, in fact. So I went out there and it was not as they had described there were um, some housing that was a villa. So there was like once there were six villas, in fact, in this compound and they had a security guard. And those villas were, were really nice. But you were sharing with three other people in one villa. So it was preferable to me uh, to share with one other person. And we decided to go to the apartments and the apartments were much, much older. And there was electricity wires just hanging out of the wall. It was really um, not very nice. Basically, it was very, very basic. There were no beds in the bedroom. Um, there was a pack of sort of sheets and bedding and so on, but we didn't have any beds. Um, no, I'm wrong there. We had a single bed each. And I thought, kind of kind of wanted a double bed, you know, expected to get that. This would be the minimum requirement. And um, I remember us waiting months, it seemed like months at least, for a double bed. And we'd be promised every day, tomorrow was the, was the phrase, tomorrow you'll get your bed. And we'd see the, the apartment down the road, they got their bed. And I was like, when are we getting our bed? Tomorrow. And that phrase of tomorrow never meant tomorrow. It meant we don't know when you're getting it. You're going to get it at some stage, but we don't know. So it was always put off and put off. And the school itself in, in Qatar was horrendous. Um, couldn't wait to get out of there. Um, to give you context, uh, 44 people went over and after two years, 43 of them had left. Jesus <laughs> Christ. Wow. <laughs> That's a hell of a turnover, my God. <laughs> yeah, yeah unbelievable, right? Wow. What was wrong with the school then? Uh, so many things wrong with the school. Um, something that really got to me were the cameras inside the uh, the classroom. Uh-huh. Uh, what? Okay. <laughs> wow. Okay. So they said the cameras there were to, or for security, to protect the teachers. 
To br- um, from what? Yeah. <laughs> no, from what exactly? Nothing. There was no reason. From heat stroke. No, no need. Uh, we had aircon at least. That's okay. one positive thing. Okay. Um, but in fact, what was being done were lesson observations via camera. Oh my god! And oh. do you know who was observing you? Uh, we knew there was a um, a lady in the office who looked. She had a. I saw in the office once all these cameras. Oh, um, like a kind of security desk from a crime exactly, movie. Exactly. <laughs> oh God. Very high tech, loads and loads of cameras. Jeez. And this lady would have a tick sheet and she would do a lesson observation via a tick sheet. And I w- as I was told, you wouldn't know when you were getting your lesson observation because the camera was always on. And Oh my God. It, you would literally <laughs> have to get a certain amount of boxes ticked. And if you didn't, they take money out of your wage at the end of the month. That's insane! Wow, wow. That you know, it, it just reminded me of like um, of the speed cameras in Australia, where you you, you never know where they are. So yeah. like, so you have to stay completely under the speed at all time. But that's okay mm-hmm. because you might kill someone. But in the classroom, <laughs> that's obscene. <laughs> it is, isn't it? Wow. That was the norm. Um, so that that was bad enough. Then they talked about putting um, cameras in the staff room. Oh my god. So we had a kind of a, a prep room in between the two art rooms and the head of department said, no, this is absolutely not happening. And she fought against it vehemently and it didn't happen, but it did get put in the English um, department, very, very narrow room with a big desk in there. And you could you could barely even get down each side of it without sort of tripping over. And that meant that you couldn't vent about what was happening in the school, you couldn't speak to your colleagues or else if they, you were so paranoid about them overhearing something, about saying something negative about the school, um, you might be, you might have your wages taken off you again. Oh my God. And did that happen to people? People who had their wages yeah. do- docked and-, and Oh so yeah, on. regularly, very often. In fact, there was a friend of mine, I don't think he was ever paid his, his fee, uh, his normal monthly wage. His fluctuates so much. Yeah, mine was always paid on time, um, so I must have been doing okay in terms of teaching and not criticizing the school. Um, but in fact, we did that in our prep room, right? So I was able to to vent in there. Uh, yeah, there were so many things. I remember if you were late to school, there was a certain policy, and I, I probably have the piece of paper still still with me to this day. And if you were late by five minutes or more, um, more than two times in the whole term, you were docked a quarter of your day's pay. Oh my God. Wow. Wow. Regardless of the situation or any- Regardless, absolutely regardless. Oh my God, may as well sleep in the school at that rate. I mean- (laughs) So I had a a teaching assistant and she was stuck in traffic one day and she was going to be late to school. And it was going to end up costing her half her day's pay. So she was going to be like 30 minutes later or so. And she decided not to come into school yeah. and just turn around and go home. Yeah. I think I think that's probably what I would contemplate in that situation. I don't Didn't blame her at all. Take the day off. Yeah. So if, yeah. if I was playing devil's advocate for the Qataris mm. and devil's advocate for sure, <laughs> um, you could you could argue that okay, but this is just one school we're talking mm. about. This isn't how the whole country works. Yeah. When you were there, did you get the impression that the, the school was special, or did you feel as though this is how Qatar works as a country? Um, good question. Um, 
I heard of other issues with other schools, definitely. Um, I, I think I got it the worst. I was in the worst school in the whole of the, the country. I was paid about half the amount that um, a fellow teacher was being paid in a different school. He had two years more experience than me. But again, half the amount was just absurd. Mm-hmm. I got laughed at when um, a, a Qatari man once asked me how much I was being paid. I told him he laughed at me. He said it, he, he was convinced I was joking. I told him I wasn't. He said, come on, work for me. I'll give you double that. Oh, wow. Did you call Working it <laughs> Did you think that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but the, the kafala system, that's something we need to get onto, mm-hmm. um, doesn't allow you to do that. Okay. It doesn't allow you to switch jobs, or at least didn't when I worked there. Um, it doesn't allow you to switch jobs um, in Qatar. So you actually have to leave for two years before you're allowed to come back to Qatar to a different company. Uh-huh. So is this, this is tied up with your visa then? Is it? Yeah. Yeah. We had our passports taken off us as well, by the way. Uh-huh. I was really? going to ask that as well, because that's something you hear about migrant workers yeah. all the time. Yeah. So you just yeah. no freedom of movement then. You're stuck. So, yeah. Um, and to give it context, if we wanted to go on holiday, say we had a week off school, I couldn't afford to because not only wasn't I paid very well, but you had to leave a month's salary with your employer as they called it insurance that you would actually come back. <laughs> oh my God. Wow. And I could, never, I could never afford to leave a month's salary and also go on holiday. So then I went home at Christmas in the summer. I could have saved up for that, but and I never visited Bahrain or um, UAE or Dubai or anywhere like that. I couldn't afford to. Wow. So that, I mean, in terms of planning your life around that, that must have been quite a strain. I can't, and I could understand why you wanted to get out of that place. You said that you were yeah. two years. Is that right? Yeah. So it was my, I, I believed then, um, I think it still was a, a good move that I had to be in a school for two years to sort of show, look, I've, you know, it was my first school. It'll look much better on the CV. It'll be able to um, lead me to a better school in the future. And, um, yeah, so I, I tried to get out after a year and I remember meeting with um, a school from Jordan in a, in a hotel in, in Qatar and we had a cup of coffee together, the principal and myself, and he said, are you under contract with the school? I said, yes. And he said, well, we can't take you because we wouldn't want to get someone under contract um, wow. with another international school. So that was my escape route and it didn't work out, unfortunately. And I came back and I remember the the head of primary at the time, he says, so you're back. And I'm like, yep, okay, back, back, you know, <laughs> to do it all over again, unfortunately. And many people left after the first year. Wow. So I just, I just, just to sort of conclude that, your experience, your personal experience and mm. professional experience of Qatar was, well, Awful. <laughs> I can't find another word. I mean, we're not far off human trafficking here. Yeah, I mean, right. You were mm. you signed up willingly, but you didn't get what you were offered, and you weren't no. able to leave. So, <laughs> it's not far off human trafficking. Yeah, yeah. It was it was much worse than I expected. Um, mm. Certainly, the standard of living wasn't wasn't what I expected. The school wasn't what they had advertised. Um, to give you another I- idea. Um, 
what happened was uh, I actually left uh, one day before the end of term because the flights were cheaper to go home for the summer. And on that last day of term was uh, the negotiation of your wage in year two. So in order to get people to stay at the school, they would have to offer them more money because they knew teachers want to leave. So I was paid about, I think, 6,000 um, a month. And I was to negotiate a little bit more to come back. But as I say, I wasn't there. So I came back and I was being paid 6,000 a month in year two, whereas my other colleagues, they might be paid 8,500. Oh, wow. And I, I went to the principal. I said, look, I wasn't here. We didn't manage to negotiate this. Can we sit down and negotiate how much we paid this year? And he said, yes, yes, don't worry, we'll get it sorted. And that went on for about three months <laughs> and it still hadn't been agreed. So then I was quite in a, in a vengeful mood. So what I did was a little bit underhand at that point, but I don't regret it. Uh, I sent an email to the principal, to the, the head of school, to the owner, and included, I, I CC'd everyone in the school in primary and secondary, everyone, because I wanted everyone to know my situation because I was just tired of being, you know, palmed off and it'll happen, it'll happen mm. sort of thing. So I thought this will anger them, this will provoke them. So I would, wanted to do something. And I was called into the office and the principal was furious. The head of the school was furious, but he said he would give me some more money. And I got the the smallest raise imaginable. And, but I got some extra money and I was never back paid for all those months that I should have been. So I just thought, well, let's try and get something out of this. If they if they're so angry, they'll ask me to leave or I'll get some more money. Either way, it's good for me. So, yeah, I did that. Just I just wanted to say that it's, I'm pretty pleased you got out of that situation. I'm totally honest. I mean, <laughs> yeah, so. I look back and I, and I think, you know, any issues that we ever have at school are nothing compared to what I went through in Qatar. Mm. So, I want to talk. I want to move on and talk a bit about the about the World Cup now. We've you've kind of set yeah. the scene of what the what it was like in like living in Qatar uh, and mm -hmm. sort of, <laughs> I mean, you know, going into the realms of human trafficking as Will uh, alluded to, mm -hmm. which is absolutely, you know, does sound like it actually. Um, so obviously now I, I, I'm contemplating watching the World Cup mm. and I've, <laughs> what I've done, I'm looking at a website now and it's um, it's the Qatar 2022 um, World Cup website. It's mm. obviously been pasted loads with uh, about FIFA, and it's all been you know all been properly made. Uh, but I'm on a, I'm on a part of the website which is its sustainability, mm. <laughs> and I just want to run through a couple of like pointers here, and to see if you what you think of them, and if you have any more um, information to, to contribute to it because, so for example, there's an environmental tab and um, it's suggesting that, um, when it says here, preparing for the Qatar World Cup is a huge task. There are massive construction projects uh, are carefully monitored and controlled to minimize the impact on the environment. And one of the things I'm suggesting here is that they're using recycled water is their biggest thing to be wow. able to create lots of green space and green parks. <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, but we all recycle water, isn't that how water works? That's kind, of, yeah. That's <laughs> like year six geography. That's even I know that. <laughs> well, exactly right. So that's that's one thing. And but this is the bit I can't get over is they're developing lots of green spaces in Qatar, hmm. isn't it? It's a desert. <laughs> it is a desert. Hmm. I, I mean, it, it's the desert, and they've they've even created. I remember saying the billboards for Lucille City, and I thought, oh my god, they're they're actually going to build a city from the desert, and I just couldn't get my my head around this. And they have, in fact, completed a new city from from nothing. Um, so that's not environmentally friendly to create to change the, the landscape, is it? <laughs> no, not, not fantastic. Why why are they doing that? What's the idea behind that? Is it just to show off, like, we're better than the desert? We can beat the power of the earth? I think so. I think, honestly, it's flexing. It's uh, flexing their financial strength and to say, look, we can create anything we want here. Uh, Mm. But it's such a shame because Singapore do that, but they do it in a very free trade way. And that's why they've become Mm. so wealthy. And they're relatively pleasurable to do business with. But Qatar has them to do the opposite and look how strong Mm. we are. We can destroy the land and everyone else's we live on. Like, it's... It's what it seems to me. Um, but but, you, but I, what was the World Cup fever like? When everyone found out the news, like um, the Qatar was going to uh, be hosting the World Cup, um, what was your first initial reaction to that? Well, I thought, well, how are they going to build all these stadiums that they need? There's no infrastructure here for it. It's just absurd um, for it to be given on fair grounds, on grounds of it being a better location than any of the other competitors at the time. So they've had to build the the, the railway system, you know, mm. the metro. They've had to build a new airport. They've had to build all these incredibly expensive stadiums. And my my real um, issue with the World Cup is um, the deaths of the migrant workers. That's my big, big thing. Um, and that, that's something I I saw firsthand. The, uh, the buses packed full of migrant workers and the heat that they'd have to work in. It's a really interesting fact. I don't know if anyone knows this. It's not something I've found in my research, but I remember being told it when I was out there. In the summer, it would get up to about 45 degrees. Holy moly. And this was a temperature gauge I saw in the car of one of my friends. But um, officially, it was 39 degrees. So the the Qatar um, the news reports on the radio says 39 degrees today. And they would do that because if it got to 40 degrees, the workers weren't allowed to work. Right. So they lied and they said it was 39. However, in the car, it was 45. <laughs> I mean, that's, I mean, that's insane. Like to, to bend the temperature <laughs> to yeah. force yeah, people to work. They lied. And that's, and that's the thing. They, they lie constantly. They lied to me. They lie about the temperature. So I don't, I do not trust the, uh, people in charge in Qatar. I don't charge the, uh, don't trust the authorities whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But one of the, because one of the facts I've read here, because there's um, an article uh, I read, it might mm. be wrong there, it could be updated, but it's up to, is it 6,750 migrant workers have perished in the construction of the World Cup mm. since 2010 when it was announced? I mean, if you just, I, when I see a number like that, I just think of like a, a regular natural disaster that might happen. There might be like an earthquake or there might be a volcanic eruption. Mm. And it's always said, oh, 150 people in Mexico, for example, have died in a recent earthquake. Oh, that's terrible. But then, if you take that number 
6,000, nearly 7,000 people have died during the construction of a yeah. football stadium. Like, that alone is is horrific. It's a horrific it's figure. It's a horrible figure. It's it makes a- me incredibly angry to hear that. Um, another little um, thing I heard, again, I don't know if this is entirely true, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was true, um, that workers back in 2010, um, they had to choose between um, the boots, you know, the, the, the steel toe cap boots or a hard hat. They have to literally choose between those two. It wasn't a, a safety thing. It was that you get this or the other one. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, and you mentioned but that the, you would see buses of migrants workers being shipped around to go and work on project. Mm-hmm. That was going to be one of my questions. There, mm-hmm. Did they hide it? Or was there a sense that this was going on in, in a kind of underlayer? Or, or did they try not to let people see it? I think it was fairly visible because you would you would go to sites where the migrant workers were, you would, you would see them on their buses on the road and so on. They didn't advertise it. Um, I don't think they particularly kept it hidden at that point. Um, because the the world's media wasn't on them, um, but you could you could see it quite easily. Um, you often w- you wouldn't see the migrant workers around in the malls. There was the, one of the big things to do was going to the mall. Um, it was the the activity? It probably still is now. There's maybe two or three of them, and you would literally just go around in this air conditioned mall. You'd almost need your jumper for that. It'd be so well air conditioned. And the Qataris would go in, spend their money, and I would go in and I would look because I didn't have the same money as them. And uh, you didn't see the migrant workers because they don't have the time off. They can't afford to go in and buy anything. So it's really weird. I, I mean, I, I mean, I understand why people are forced to migrate to other nations to look for, for low-skilled work because it hasn't been successful in their native land. But... Like it seems just completely unbelievable. Like just the mm-hmm. the, 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 the taking the passport away from you, I can never get mm-hmm. over that. It's something which is still like I don't understand it, and I can't imagine mm-hmm. the fear you must have. I mean, happened to you? Your passport's taken away from you. Like mm-hmm. that's terrifying for me. Like that's horrible. <laughs> like I wouldn't. Yeah, that would be the first. If that happens to me, if I walk through the door, I'd be like, I want to get out of that door instantly. That's not one thing I. I mean, that was that was basically how I felt. And um, one of the, the guys at the school, an Indian man, um, were, Indian men were typically sort of at this um, management level, but sort of very low management. Mm. And um, I remember going into the office and we will try to get our passports back, of course, but I developed a technique that I thought would work. And I talked to him about his family. So I became friends with this guy. I was genuinely interested in his family, but it was also a tactic to get my passport back. And I heard it worked for one other person. So I talked to him about his family and, you know, was actually genuinely interested at the same time. I said, look, can I get my my passport back? I just want to photocopy it. And I took it and never gave it back. And um, that was just one of the things that we had to do. I felt like it was necessary at the time. Just the fact you have to jump through so many loopholes to do something like that is is crazy. Mm-hmm. I just yeah. I just want to read just want to read one thing. So I'm, you're talking about the, the conditions of the workers. So on again on the Qatari yeah. FIFA World Cup website, uh, they talk in the sustainable section. There's about human or human resources, and one of their little tabs is about protecting our workers. Um, mm. And I just want to read out to you and I'll see your thoughts on it. So it says um, our workers' welfare program promotes lasting human development 
ensuring safe working and living conditions for Qatar 2022 workers lays the foundations for their prosperity. While the training and social opportunities offered allow workers to prosper in both their professional and personal lives, we will leave a sustainable legacy of higher standards and best practices, giving workers a voice and a better future in Qatar across the world. <laughs> did they think they were going to get away with this? Or did they not care? Like, did they um, think that people weren't going to notice? I don't, I don't think they care, honestly. Um yeah, I just don't believe a word they say because the reality is so different and workers um, are afraid to speak up about the realities there. Um, I would have been, I wouldn't have done it when I was there because of me needing the job um, for my, my future development, as uh, as they say. Um, but I'm, I'm free to do that now. I'm out of the country. I'm free of that. But many of them, if they speak up, they... Um, will essentially not be allowed their passports back. They probably won't be paid the wages that they're owed uh, and they won't be able to afford to go back home. There's actually many workers that are still there that cannot afford to um, to fly home because there's been so many months of wages unpaid to them. And yeah, I, I, it's just... I mean, there are other areas as well. One of the other things I wanted to talk about, I mean, the humanitarian crisis is, is you know, un- immeasurable. You can't, it's, it's crazy. But just, again, going back to sort of like the way in which uh, sort of the governance works here. So they're trying to be a carbon neutral World Cup as well, which I can't work out considering they've already built seven stadiums in a brand new city. I see how that's possible. <laughs> like that's almost like, genuinely impossible. Um but also, the other thing is one of the main sponsors is Qatar Energy. <laughs> they've, got like, mm. they've got an $85 million stake in the World Cup. Like, that's, Are we sure that doesn't mean that they're just neutral to the amount of carbon that they're going to release into the atmosphere <laughs> during the World Cup? I think that's what that's they mean. Probably closer to the truth. Right, okay. I need to read the small print on that. Yeah. I think beforehand, the massive amounts of carbon gone into the atmosphere during the building of the World Cup, or the, the stadium and the infrastructure, they just... They just don't even consider that in that argument. It may be a carbon neutral World Cup for the month that it's on. Mm. That may be possible. But we just, it's like, look over here, look over here all the time to this good point. And let's not even talk about all this negativity that happened before it. There's, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, um, a politics term of that. It's called greenwashing. <laughs> it's so, it is. It's greenwashing yeah, it's, for sure. It's, it's sport washing. And fact. sport washing as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. It is, yeah. It's both of those things. And they just, they cherry pick the best things that make them look amazing and, uh, mm-hmm. and then forget They're about very good the rest of that. the crap that surrounds everything else. Yeah. yeah, they do, but they do also take it further by genuinely not giving a shit what the rest of the world thinks. And you can see that in the last 24 hours when they've banned oh, yeah. beer. <laughs> oh, yeah. They've given up on their massive contracts with FIFA. They've pissed off FIFA and all of their sponsors. And Budweiser. They're going to get sued Budweiser. by Budweiser now. Of course. Do they care? Nope. Doesn't seem like it. Because no. when they get sued by Budweiser, is small change to them. They've yeah. got so much money, they, they don't care. Oh, and and uh, see, so yeah, that was news to me. Someone told me yesterday about the uh, about them banning the alcohol. So they've they've encouraged all of the fans to come through, and they've encouraged them that there'll be alcohol. You'd be able to have a normal experience as a World Cup, and then they just axe the uh, the alcohol. I mean, if anything, all I could think was any England fan that goes that might do some good actually. Like, <laughs> like generally speaking, <laughs> fewer pieces of plastic furniture being launched across <laughs> park squares, I guess. Unless and also. <laughs> 
Um, let me interject there. Yeah. It used to cost me about seven quid for a beer in the hotels in Qatar, which I thought was extortionate, first of Yikes. all. Thanks. Now it's going to cost you 12 quid. Wow. Well, who, who was it when one of my friends was saying yesterday? They said, if you want to have, uh, you still can have alcohol at the Qatar World Cup, but you have to be in hospitality and tickets in hospitality yeah. start at $16,000. <laughs> Yeah, wow. it's quite an expensive beer, oh. if you ask me. Mm -hmm. The the power struggle that this represents, I, I remember in the for the South Africa World Cup in 2010, which itself was not free of corruption by any means. But I remember there was something in the news where FIFA had set up their own FIFA courts for the stadium grounds. So if you commit a crime on stadium grounds, you will not be arrested by the South African police. You'll be arrested by FIFA police and put on trial by FIFA. They created their own little kind of Holy Roman Empire style fief within South Africa. But now they can't even sell beer, which they've got a contract of probably billions of dollars to do. Mm -hmm. uh, the Qataris are putting on a massive power show here. So it's, it's not just they're trying to kind of sports wash everything. It's that they're trying to dominate everything, it mm -hmm. seems. And if they were smart, they'd um, allow the, the sale of beer, because that would, would gain them more money. So, I mean, I mean, as, yeah, as a business, of course, that, and that's what people want to go to watch a football. I mean, we and I want to touch a couple of things here. So we all live in Germany, and um, I'm sure all of us has, uh, have, have been to football matches, and you and people enjoy a drink and a and a, a whatever food on the, on the terraces. But also recently, um, across all of Germany, this boycotting movement has been quite big, uh, and mm. a lot of football teams uh, have been displaying with the tifos behind the uh, behind the but behind the goal and the stand all of their dismay about uh, uh, about the World Cup. Up, obviously in Qatar. I think Germany has been probably one of the most outspoken European nations, if not global nations, yeah. about uh, about boycotting watching the World Cup. But and this is my question, as because uh, even in the city we live in, which is Duisburg, they did a big protest recently as well in the stadium. But my big question here is like realistically though, how many people will actually watch the uh, boycott the World Cup? Because if Germany are in the semi final, this is what I'm genuinely interested to see: is how many people will actually uh, commit to their boycotting uh, mantra that they're going with. And that for me is interesting because this is where I fall like watching the, watching it passively, going back to me maybe watching it. I, I mean, <laughs> I don't know actually how many people are going to commit to boycotting it. And I don't know what that looks like. I don't know if you have any thoughts on what that could be. <laughs> um, I think in terms of boycotting... Um, anything i think um my wife i was speaking to my wife earlier this morning before this and we were talking about um you know turning turning the heads um sort of you know not looking at something um getting beyond it basically and it's, it's harder to do in some areas um i think you know if we buy an apple computer um we're probably aware that it's been made by um, by children, perhaps, or by people not paid very much money. Um, now, I myself haven't seen that firsthand. However, I have seen the migrant workers firsthand, and I was I wasn't a, I was a migrant worker, I suppose, but I wasn't treated as badly as they 
uh, currently are and have been. So it's that firsthand experience for me that really pushes me to not watch this World Cup versus, um, you know, buying an Apple computer or, you know, buying clothing from Zara that might have been made by um, underpaid workers or so on. I think we, we all have to look a certain way sometimes um, to, to even get through life, don't we? Or else mm. ethically made clothing, for example, is very expensive. Um, I think we can't afford to do that. So it's it's tough in that regard. It's like, if we don't watch the World Cup, should we then not buy an Apple computer? Should we not shop in Zara? Should we not go to all these, you know, um, these big companies and buy their products? Um, I mean, it's a, a tricky one. I mean, actually, what you're probably pretty much describing is that like, the world is a pretty horrible place, mostly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, every, and, and, and fairness and justice is really not... <laughs> not shouted too much. Um, and I'm sure historically that's probably happened as well, Will, right? <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. Uh, but actually what is what is interesting is we might think that the past was a better place with regards to things like human trafficking and slavery and labor rights, uh, that we live in a better world now and it was worse 100, 200 years ago. But actually there are more people in slavery today than there have been at any other point in human history. There are about 40 million people in slavery today and that has simply never been the case so the world is not necessarily going in a good direction even if for us in the west our lives our quality of life has increased throughout the last thousand years there are still more slaves than there ever have been mm. yeah and I think, I think we have to remember that don't we we have to remember how different our lives are over here versus um the migrant workers in qatar um, mm. and I think the thing is, um, this is bringing attention on Qatar, um, which is a good thing, and it's maybe forcing some change. But I just don't believe that change is is going to be sustained once the attention is not on Qatar after this World Cup. I just have no no faith in and their rulers and their laws and what they say because of their history of lying to us. So that's going to be my, I was going to be my follow-up question actually, sort of looking towards the future because we know the World Cup's going to happen. It's a lot, you know, and um, I, I, and you're, and I just want to touch on. I think having, if you experience something, of course, you have much more of a personal connection to it. So I can mm. understand why boycotting it might be a, an easier decision for yourself. Um, but and and that's why it's important that you share your your understanding and your experience of it. But I wanted to talk about after the World Cup. How do you imagine? the Qatar World Cup, what would its legacy be? What would the Qataris want the legacy to be? But in reality, what will happen? I don't know if you have any foresight or ideas of what that might happen in the future. Um, I don't think the Qataris really care what the um, the aftermath and what the legacy is of this World Cup. I think, honestly, they just see it as being able to... to go to the World Cup to be sat in an air-conditioned stadium to have their um, their drinks, to have their their snacks in a really comfortable seat and not have to travel very far to watch it. Honestly, um, I think it's just going to be very easy for them and it's a, it's a thing to watch basically live rather than on TV. Um, and it's all going to end and then you're going to have these stadiums and they talk about one stadium where they're able to move these um, shipping containers and move them elsewhere mm. and so on. But that's that's one stadium out of all these stadiums that they've built. 
And what use would they have with all the other ones? You know, this is just to put on a spectacle and then they'll be forgotten about. They don't have football teams big enough to fill them over there. Um, they have a few um, teams, but, you know, they're not going to have... The migrant workers cannot afford to go and watch a match. They don't have the time off to go and watch a match. So you're really relying on the 300,000 Qataris versus the 2.7 million migrant workers that make up the workforce, essentially. That, that's mad, that population imbalance as well. Jesus Christ. Yeah. I, 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 just, I don't know if you've seen the population pyramid of Qatar. It's just strong to mind, but it's heavily weighted into the male section versus female section mm. of Qatar. Um, and actually, that a lot of Middle Eastern countries seem to have that as well. And I think that is because it's populated mainly by male migrant workers across the world. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Um, I, I hadn't thought of that, though, but that does make sense that... The, normally one of the things you hear around the World Cup is it's good for the infrastructure of a country. Mm -hmm. Or you heard it with London 2012 that, yeah, it costs billions, but there will be lasting benefits to the local population. But mm -hmm. the, you're saying the Qataris just don't care about that. It's about bringing the show to them rather than about yeah. anything further. Yeah, I, I don't think the infrastructure is actually necessary because the um, Qataris that go around in their four by fours um, <laughs> racing on the roads and, and seriously it's, yeah. it's either four by fours or it's <laughs> nissans uh, it's the one of two cars and it's really about showing um you know this big dick energy sort of thing where it's like <laughs> yeah right <laughs> look look how big my, my dick is um mm. uh, these mad four by fours and there was times where there was there was crashes and it's very very dangerous to drive on the roads there and in fact i I don't even know if you need to have a license oh um, out there. I think the police, <laughs> the, the police will look the other way. And even if, if you were to ever get in an accident as an, a migrant, as a non-Qatari, you would be at fault a hundred percent of the time. And there's many people that have died on the roads out there. And you know, that that's it. They don't get any justice. They, that's just done. Uh, it's horrible. Um, I don't even know the point I was. Uh, no, I, I, <laughs> I was talking about originally. Now I'm just annoyed. I'm just remembering yeah. different stories and different things that happened. I, I, I think I think we want the emotion. That's really it. <laughs> we, I think so. It's yeah. convincing me a lot more now. I have to say, not so much. <laughs> yeah, it's, and, it's just I'm, bad across the board, essentially. And so the, the question is, therefore, what do you do with that emotion? Like, what are you going to do instead of watching the World Cup? Are you going to be aware that it's on, but turn your eye? Or are you going to completely ignore it for the next month? Um, well, obviously, talking on here, I think it's, it's a good step. And then we have the debates in, uh, in school. And hopefully I'm going to convince some of the people at school and using my influence there. Um, I'm having that debate next week and I'm going to do a research and these are um, boys who are big football fans as well. And hopefully we can at least inform them about mm. what's happening and they can make their own decision. Um, yeah, it's not to not to piss on your chips there, but I had a discussion with some of my um, year nines this week <laughs> about um, chemicals in the food supply and the, the accumulation of, of kind of uh, what's the uh, mercury in fish mm. stocks. And I asked them at the end, OK, so now are you worried about chemicals in the food supply? And they're all like, now, nah, whatever. Who cares? It's literally going to kill you. Yeah, whatever. Who cares? So. Wow. I hope you have more success than I did. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a bit disheartening really, isn't it? <laughs>
Jesus Christ. Um, yeah, well, if you can, well, maybe maybe not year nines then. <laughs> Might be the- yeah, aim a little bit higher. <laughs> well, I have year 13, so um, they're I hopefully a little bit more, bit yeah. more open to, to that. Um, it's, it's difficult because I want to be able to get this message out a little bit more so, but it's hard to know what to do. Um, I want to be able to give money to charity and it's hard to find charities that are directly set up for the families of the migrant workers because that's another thing mm. um it's it's the families of these these men that have that went over to qatar and died or these men that have gone back home and now cannot work because of their injuries sustained on the the construction site it's we need to help them out that they, they've lost their breadwinner essentially mm. um they see them I'm going over there and they come back in, in boxes yeah, and on, on that, I saw a, a really disturbing statistic this week, which is that of all of the migrant workers from Nepal, one fifth come back with such serious kidney issues that they need dialysis or a kidney transplant uh -huh. because they're just not being given the water. Mm -hmm. Their kidneys are breaking down. One in five. It's it's insane. It's, 20%. it's just not nice. normal to work in those temperatures and to, you know okay. carrying boulders around and literally back breaking work and you know they're being destroyed. Isn't that how they built the pyramids? Mm. Like, <laughs> yeah, they, yeah. It's I think it's not similar. actually. That's that's <laughs> not how they built the pyramids. They no? paid them a fair wage. They built them houses. They gave. We've got kind of hieroglyphs written on these houses saying, oh, "Here wow. lived blah de blah. He was paid this much beer and this much bread every day." Okay, it could be like 6,000-year-old propaganda, but <laughs> it does appear that they were proper wage workers from Egypt. They weren't bust in as slaves. So it's worse than the pyramids. It's worse. Wow, we're treating them worse than the people who built the pyramids. That's incredible, isn't yeah. it? I just, and the last thing I kind of want to talk about is um, I read, um, I was talking to another colleague of ours, uh, she read that um that Manuel Neuer, the German captain and goalkeeper, will refuse to play if he can't wear the rainbow um, uh, captain's armband whilst playing, for, mm. playing obviously for Germany. And but that, on top of everything else, I mean, this is another thing which which I don't understand why FIFA have gone in and said because because I, I suppose FIFA's argument is always we go into a country to try and make it more uh, in, inclusive and uh, and and fair for everyone and accessible. Um, but then, the, obviously, Qataris is known for not being at all an LGBT, LGBTQ-friendly nation. So, again, mm. it's just another step for me for FIFA in the wrong direction. And it, and I think Will, you said was it, you said it's bad for football, not bad for, for Qatar. And I think you might have said it that way round. Yeah, there was a, there was a joke on Family Guy about Christian rock, where um, as Peter Griffin said to a Christian rock band, "Look, you're not making Christianity any better. You're making rock a lot worse." <laughs> and that's kind of how I saw this you're not making Qatar better you're just ruining football it's this isn't what people want mm. Mm. yeah I mean to look at the um the gay rights um and their stance on that that's just another thing that we can look at to add to the argument that you should not watch this mm -hmm. um, but for me the argument is so strong to, to look at the the rights of the migrant workers we don't even need anything else yeah um because it's just it's just overwhelming the amount of um stories and evidence we have that this is going on 
No, you're absolutely right. Yeah, you know, one issue in isolation is enough to consider boycotting or, or or raising eyebrows or red flags. But the fact there's so many different issues which are linked to this this World Cup is 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 a wonder. Well, it's not a wonder, but it's absolutely obscene that the World Cup is being held there in the first place. And I mean, we know why it's being held there essentially because uh, apparently yeah, you can buy stuff like that. <laughs> Yeah, and as you said before, it's totally illegitimate. Ten out of the 22 members are in jail and a further six have been implicated in corruption. So that means six of the voters in the World Cup um, where to allocate it in 2010 were legitimate. The rest were not. All 16 mm-hmm. were not. So it is it is an illegitimate World Cup. Therefore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well. <laughs> Question is, though, and, and this will surely be in the back of the mind of, of a lot of our listeners, uh, will it make a difference? If I don't watch the World Cup, is it going to make a difference? Do you guys have any opinions on that? Um, yeah, that's that's something I struggle with, and um, I, I don't I don't know if myself or your, yourselves watch or not watching the World Cup is going to make a huge difference. We're only going to be you know three people down on the uh, the viewing figures, so no, it's not. But um, I think what we need to do is to kind of question our morals and to sort of think, um, can we look the other way on this? And I think your listeners need to to do the same and think, um, you know, c- can we look the other way and not watch this World Cup or do we watch it with this knowledge of, of what's happening and just overlook it? Because I'm sure it's going to be on the pitch, a fantastic World Cup and I'm, I'm gutted that I'm going to miss it. And I'm making this choice myself and I'm not being forced it's a conscious decision to not watch it. And uh, that's going to be really hard for me because I'm going to hear people talking about it at school. And um, I might hear in the podcast what happened. And, um, but I think morally, I just, I just have to say no to this. It's one of those things. That, that was my thinking as well. The, the thought that you have, which is that I, I know that if I were to watch a single minute of it, I wouldn't enjoy it. Because in the back of my own mind, I would mm. sit there thinking, how many people died to lay that grass? Mm-hmm. How many people died to have that goal scored? And so I just wouldn't be able to enjoy it. So that's yeah. my thinking. Is it, uh, do the Qataris give a shit that I'm not watching? No, of course they don't. Does FIFA give a shit I'm not watching? No, of course they don't. But it would make me a bit miserable to watch it. Yeah, and that's not sure. what the World Cup's about. It's meant to be just a bit of a laugh. Well, this mm-hmm. is where I, so my, my thought of this is uh, it like how... Ca- so this is going to be a historical event regardless uh, of, mm. of what the outcome of the World Cup is. We know the outcome of of what we've discussed already. But my thing is, like, if I watch this, in 30 years' time, say, when someone brings it up in conversation and goes, oh, wow, the Qatar World Cup was a humanitarian disaster, and then someone says to me, but did you watch the World Cup? Like, that, for me, if, if I say yes to that... Mm. And then they, they that person may have a really negative opinion on me because it's obvious that mm-hmm. I shouldn't have watched that. Do you know what I mean? So that for me is mm-hmm. sort of a, a good reason to really consider it because, it, you know, it's going to be an absolute historical event for all the wrong reasons. And if you've participated mm-hmm. by a, being a viewership of this, then uh, you will have to live with, with that kind of this choice, I think, long into the future yeah, mm-hmm. of that as well. Mm-hmm. You're implicated in that. You're you're part of that, and we can choose not to be a part of that at this point. So I think that's that's the most important thing: making that choice for ourselves and living um, with that knowledge of we either boycotted it or we didn't boycott it, and we either made this choice or that choice.
That was a really nice way to... I think that was a good natural end, was it or not? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, I don't think there's anything more to add. I don't have any other questions. No, 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 I. Um, no. Should we do a bit where we say thank you and all that stuff? I think we should do. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, Andy's give up a lot of his time for today. <laughs> nah, I'm just going to yeah, hang on, right. actually. What? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so... Um, Thank you, Andy, for coming on to the, to our podcast. And I think I've just, I just, Pleasure. I just think I, it's really, it's really refreshing. It's nice. We've not done an episode really like this before, uh, but it's we're, we're really pleased that uh, you've been able to really share your experience and your decision to boycott it. And I hope, and I hope that someone at least listened to this it considers what we've discussed and what you've talked about, and and hopefully they can use that to inform their own decision making about the, whether they will watch the World Cup or not. So thank you ever so much for coming on and and sharing your uh, your views and your experience uh, in Qatar and the and the World Cup. Well, thanks for having me, guys. It's a pleasure being on my my first ever podcast. So thank you for listening to our World Cup oh. episode. Here comes a goal. Oh, I was already doing one. <laughs> <laughs> you did it in the background. Okay, but thank you. No. For, there we go. <laughs> but thank you for listening to our podcast. And a special thanks to Andy Eagleson who helped us out um, with this podcast as well. We may have him on uh, another time throughout this World Cup period as well. Uh, but if you would like to uh, reach out to us, you could do so on Twitter at Gaps Podcast. Well, we don't know if, if it Twitter's going to if it, yes. if we're going to exist with the firing employees left, right and centre or they're just walking out. See what happens. Uh, and uh, you can also search for our YouTube channel Gaps in Knowledge uh, podcast. You can find us on there as well. And you can also email us gapsinknowledge at outlook.com or look us up on Facebook. Uh, just search for Gaps in Knowledge podcast if Facebook exists. <laughs> Is anything going to exist? Well, we hope well, the World Cup doesn't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Welcome to the end times. <laughs> 